Well, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here as we continue in our series on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to uh, test your finger dexterity this morning. I want you to turn to two places, Luke chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2. So just kind of get your fingers in there. Luke chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2, it's page 852 and 905. And while you're turning, I have something to show you. I have achieved the Impact T-shirt. Yes. Remember, God's grace is free, but your Impact T-shirt is earned. That's right. We took a team down to, uh, to Lancaster City, to Musser, Musser Park, and uh, ministered to the homeless down there. We partnered with another church, a Brethren church uh, in the area, and it was... Let me get this. Did I get that right? And uh, it was it was an, an amazing time. I think each each person that went had a meaningful conversation with someone who was experiencing life completely different from the way we experienced it. And yet, uh, I can't help but think of that the one lady who I'm forgetting her name, um, but uh, but she she looked a little rough. And I said, "Can I give you a Bible?" And she said, "A little New Testament." We were out of them, by the way. Whoever orders them. A little New Testament. She said, oh, I'd love a New Testament. Sometimes it's nice to have a Bible with you on your person. She said, I have a recovery Bible that I'm working out of right now. And my mind just went, Psh, because I would have never guessed that, because I was, I was judging a person on the outside, not on the inside. And so I encourage you, uh, as we move on in the future, there will be additional opportunities for our impact team, and you too can get a t-shirt. <laughs> All right. Um, so we are in the midst of our... Uh, our series on the Holy Spirit, and one of the promises of the Holy Spirit that we've been talking about uh, is this promise of guidance or leading. The, uh, the, the, in John 16, verse 13, it says that the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. And, you know, I think that many of us would like to be led. We'd love to know uh, how is it that the Holy Spirit interacts with us to give us guides. I ran across this, uh, this item today. Maybe, maybe this will help you. A man was walking along a California beach deep in prayer. Suddenly the sky clouded above his head. A booming voice of the Lord said, Because you have tried to be faithful to me in all your ways, I will grant you one wish. The man said, uh, Build a bridge to Hawaii so that I can drive over any time I want. My, my daughter lives there and I would love to visit frequently. The Lord said, Your request is so very materialistic. Think of the enormous challenges of that kind of undertaking, the support it requires to reach the bottom of the Pacific, the concrete and steel it would take. It would nearly exhaust several natural resources. I can do it, but it's hard for me to justify your desire for such a worldly thing. Take some time. Think of something that would honor and glorify me. The man thought for a long time. Finally, he said, Lord, I need guidance on understanding my wife. I want to know how she feels inside, what she's thinking when she gives me the silent treatment. Why does she cry? What does it mean when she says nothing's wrong? And how can I make a woman truly happy? The Lord replied, do you want that bridge two lanes or four lanes? <laughs> oh my goodness, cheap shot this morning. But seriously, I think uh, the idea of guidance is, is so important. Lord, what do you want me to do? Um, and so, one of the things that I've noticed in Scripture, and I'd like to share with you, is, is a pattern 
uh, which, which is regularly discovered. It's received, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's received, filled, and led. Received, filled, and led. Now, uh, this happened in, to Jesus, and that's why I have you in Acts chapter, or I'm, I'm sorry, in uh, Luke chapter 3, um, verses 21 and 22. This is Jesus' baptism when the Holy Spirit came upon him. Verses 21 and 22, note with me. One day when the, crowds, uh, when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized as he was praying the heavens opened, and this Holy Spirit, in bodily form, descended on him like a dove. A voice from heaven said, you are, are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And so here is the time in which the Holy Spirit came on Jesus. Jesus received the Spirit. Now just flip one page over to chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, so you see that pattern? Jesus was received the Spirit, he was filled with the Spirit, and then he was led from the Spirit. And it's important to note there that he was led into the wilderness for his time of temptation, right? So when we're talking about Holy Spirit leading, uh, sometimes the Lord leads us into deep water, and we learn to trust him more. Now, now flip to Acts chapter uh, 2. All right, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to see that the same pattern holds of, of received, filled, led is also talked about with the, with the disciples. And we looked at this passage a little bit last week. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 says, On the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting, then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Now, is that received, filled, or led? It's received, right? They received the Holy Spirit. Okay, well, what happened? Well, look just a little bit further down to verse 4. And everyone present, after they received it, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability and then, in Acts chapter 3 and following, it, we just see evidence of them being, being led by the Spirit. So, that was true of Jesus, and that was true of the early disciples. I guess the question is, is that true of us? Could that be? We receive the Spirit, we're filled with the Spirit, and then we are led by the Spirit. Now, when it comes to Spirit filling, I know there's a lot of questions on that. Next week, we're going to be handling that, and uh, Gerald Graham uh, one of our elders has been working on that out of Ephesians 5, and I'm looking forward to that message. But uh, is that true of us? Well, I have some scripture uh, listed here that I, uh, that I want to read to you. You don't have to turn there. But it is true for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, Some of us are Jews, some of us are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. So, have we received the Holy Spirit? That was more than, that was a rhetorical. Have we received the Holy Spirit? Yes, absolutely. If we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit has come to reside in us. We have received the Spirit. Well, Ephesians 4.18, I'm sorry, uh, says, don't be drunk with wine, wherein, uh, uh, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with, with the Holy Spirit. And that's the passage that Gerald's going to kind of unpack for us. 
So after we receive the Spirit, we have the capability of being filled with the Spirit. And then in Romans 8.14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. If you are a child of God, you have the capacity to be led by God's Spirit. So where we're going to spend the rest of our time here is right in that middle section there. We saw in Acts chapter 2 that the, that the um, early Christians received the Spirit. They were filled with the Spirit. So now let's see what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. And so flip with me to uh, Acts chapter 3. I don't know why it says 4 there. That's a mistake. Acts chapter 3. So this happens, this is the the instance, the episode, the story, which happens immediately after the the disciples are are filled, uh, are received, and are filled with the Spirit. I'm going to read this. It's my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the New Testament. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, and the, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter said, and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them, eagerly expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you. But I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus of Christ of the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was a lame beggar, they had just seen so they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd, "People of Israel," he said, "what is so surprising about this? And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power or godliness?" For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Then in the same, this is the same Jesus who you handed over to be rejected before Pilate, despite, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you, uh, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Wow. Isn't that an amazing story? An amazing story of the power of God being revealed through somebody who is simply led by the Spirit. So this is a process. Let's, let's look at the process as it's unfolded here in this passage. The first thing that I want you to see is that spirit-led Christians recognize divine appointment. They recognize that God is doing something, divine appointment. So um, I've got some questions for you about this. Um, 
Peter and John, as the scripture says, were going there for the three, uh, for the three o'clock prayer service. Do you think that was a, a, a relatively common occurrence? Yeah, I mean, it, it was. In fact, uh, the Jews prayed at, uh, at nine, noon, and three, right? That's when they prayed. You remember the story of Daniel? He was like, how are we going to, ca- the, the, the officials were jealous of him and wanted him out of his position, so they said, how are we going to catch him? Oh, well, Jews pray at 9, 12, and 3, so we'll, we'll nail him there. We'll make sure that it's illegal to pray. Of course, we know how that story went. Daniel continued to hold fast to his convictions. So the Jews prayed at 9, 12, and 3, and if they were in Jerusalem and they had the opportunity, praying at the temple was a very uh, common thing to do. So, yeah, it was a common occurrence. Uh, And we also know from the book of Acts that that the believers met daily in the temple at Solomon's porch, Acts 2.46 and 5.12. So Christians gathered for prayer too. It was a common occurrence there in Jerusalem. So let's think about the crippled man who was there at Gate Beautiful. Do you think it was common occurrence for him to be there? Yeah, I mean... It was the traffic flow, right? He, he, he could make some money there. In fact, the, the text tells us that it was a common occurrence in chapter 3, verses 2 and 9. So here's the question. How many times do you think Peter and John had seen this guy? Dozens. Dozens of times as they're going in for prayer as, as, as Jews and then converted Christians as they're going to their time of prayer. There's, there's a homeless guy. There's a homeless guy. There's a homeless guy. I bet they had even reached into their pocket and given him some change when they had it. Okay, so this was a really common occurrence. What changed this time? Well, the Holy Spirit was filling them, right? And they had a complete change of perspective. They had a complete change of perspective. Nothing changed in this situation except their perspective. You know, um, think about how God might use the common things in our life uh, to, to lead us in a new and a fresh way. What are some examples of divine appointments in your life? Well, I would submit to you that everything is a divine appointment. Every inconvenience. I, if God can use a panhandling incident in the New Testament, can't he use perhaps uh, a misunderstanding between coworkers in your life? How about um, that misplaced homework assignment? Or the fact that, teens, that you got, uh, that you, got you know, um, partnered with a, a, real, a real nerd for the science fair or, or the lab that you have to do. You're like, oh, man, I can't believe I drew that person. These common, everyday occurrences in our life, could God use that to advance his kingdom? I submit to you that he can. And so here are these common occurrences. You know, the fact that you forgot to pick up milk at Yoder's and need to go out again. Oh, man. All of these things, these common everyday occurrences, just like a, just like a beggar sitting by the side of the road, God can use to advance his kingdom if we will change our perspective. So Peter and John, this was nothing new to them, but something was different that day. God had a divine appointment. So I was thinking about this this week, and of course it was running through my head, 
And, and one of the things that I, I'm always fascinated by is how God kind of uses the, the thoughts right on the peripheral of my head, just kind of flash through. Because I think if you've followed Jesus for a while, you've had the experience in which, you know, oh, I ought to call to that person, or oh, I ought to write a card, or oh, I ought to, and, and, so, and often we just completely dismiss it. But every once in a while, we follow it, and we make a phone call, or we write a card, and you hear some feedback. It's like, oh, man, thank you so much. God really ordained that in your life. When you did that, when you contacted me, I was so low. Thank you so much. God used you. And you're like, I'm like, wow, that was just a thought that kind of flashed across my head. I wonder if that isn't some of the way that God leads us. Maybe we should be attentive to some of those promptings. I was uh, driving home. Uh, um, I was up at uh, the hospital, and I was swinging by 625, and I was coming down through Bowmansville. And, uh, and I, I passed a guy who was hitchhiking on 625, an old guy. So I just whoosh, went right by him, and that flash hit me. You should probably go pick him up. Now, I had made a promise to my wife years ago that I, that I wouldn't pick up hitchhikers. So I was like, you know, but I thought, well, he's old. I can take him, you know. <laughs> so so this, is, this, is, this is going through my head, and I'm going by, and I let it go. I just went home. Now, I believe that God is sovereign enough to, 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 to take care of whatever I left there, but I think I missed an opportunity. I missed an oppor- a divine opportunity that was, that was there. And so I want to I encourage you that when God uses people in Scripture, those who are truly led of the Spirit have an unshakable perspective that nothing can happen, good or bad, small or large, without having been ordained or allowed by God for His purpose. And so even that annoying flat tire or that, that missed, up, that, that missed uh, um, uh, gallon of milk can uh, turn out to advance God's kingdom. Think of, think of Esther, right? She's, uh, she gets picked to be part of the king's harem. That's not a very good thing, right? And yet her perspective came to be, it was for such a time as this that God put me here. Think of, of Joseph uh, in Egypt, where he gets sold into slavery. He's in and out of jail, and, and uh, you know, difficult circumstances for, for, for many years. And in, in Genesis 50-20, he says, uh, As for you, you meant it against me for evil, but God meant it for good, the bringing about of this present result to preserve many people alive. And so I would submit to you this morning that in order for us to be led by the Spirit, we have to, change our pers- we have, to have a change of perspective that almost anything can be, can be a divine appointment, even being approached by a ho- homeless panhandler. So let's move on. The next thing I want us to see out of this is Spirit-led Christians rely on divine enablement. Now, the man was looking for money, right? Um, but what did he really need? He needed healing. Interesting. He wasn't going around asking people for healing. He had lost sight of his true need. He had long since stopped asking for healing because nobody had, had been able to bring it to him. He thought it was unavailable. Did Peter have any money? No, but what did he have? Peter had the healing, right? He had the, divine, the ability to divinely heal. So, the... 
what the man truly needed was exactly what Peter had. Now, I believe that God is providentially bringing people across your path daily who need exactly what you have. They need exactly what you have. You know, and God has a way of doing that. Um, You look at Scripture. Um, Moses, the first thing that God asked him when he approached him in in, in Exodus 4.2, Moses, what's in your hand? Oh, it's it's a shepherd's staff. Well, God used that shepherd's staff. It became the rod of God, you know, and he, he split the Red Sea with it, and he smote the rock, and, and water came out. Um, David, what did he have with him? Right? The slingshot, you know? It's like when he tried on Saul's armor, it didn't work out. God wanted to use exactly what he had. You think of the small boy in the New Testament who had five barley loaves and two small fish. God just wants to use what you have. And he's bringing people across your path who need what you have. God wants to use every situation. He has uniquely equipped you. So, what do you have? Now, so many people I've heard... In fact, I, w- I popped into the spiritual gifts class today, and, uh, and one of the things that was shared was that the way that this class has impacted them is, I, I didn't know that I had a spiritual gift, and now I know that I have one. God will use the way he's gifted you. He'll use any way to advance his kingdom. And so, spirit-led Christians rely on divine enablement. Peter and John simply gave the man what they had. Number three, spirit-led Christians seize divine opportunity. Seize divine opportunity. So they reach down and they heal the guy and they bring him up to his feet and the beggar starts creating a commotion. He's jumping around. He's he's leaping and praising God and he's clinging to Peter and John and, and the people are astonished. And Can you imagine what that scene would have been like? So cool. Uh, And Peter sees this, and I love the way the uh, NLT says, he sees an opportunity, it says. He sees the opportunity. And what does he do? He begins to preach to them Jesus. So he takes an opportunity that God has placed in his path. Now, again, every good experience, every bad experience in life is an opportunity to point others to Jesus. The Apostle Paul was a master at this. In Acts chapter 16, he gets thrown into prison and he's beat to a pulp. And out of that situation comes the salvation of the Philippian jailer and his family. Who would have thought that that was a divine opportunity? And yet it so clearly was. In Acts chapter 17, he's in Athens and he's, he's on Mars Hill and he runs across an altar which is labeled to an unknown God. He's like, huh, that's pretty interesting in his sightseeing. He takes that as an opportunity to preach Jesus as the unknown God to the Athenians. In Acts chapter 22 and 24 and 26, Paul is arrested and he preaches Jesus in the courtroom. In Philippians 1, he's in prison, chained to a guard, and he's sharing his faith with the guard. 
Spirit-led Christians seize divine opportunities. And so again, what opportunities has God placed in your life? The last thing I want us to see out of this is that Spirit-led Christians experience divine results. Okay? They experience divine results. So uh, Peter and John, if we were to read on in this passage, Peter and John end up in jail, right? Um, But through that experience, many people come to faith in Christ. So uh, uh, let's just do a little math experiment here. If you have your Bible, look in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Okay, this is before the, the, the healing of this, this leper man, or this, uh, this lame man. How big was the church? About 3,000, right? So this was the initial, so it was 3,000, there was 120 in the room, so it's 3,120, which is, well, now that, that creates its own problems as a church, doesn't it? Poof, instant. Okay, after this experience where Peter uh, heals the, the crippled uh, beggar, let's look in, um, let's look down, down further here. How many, how many people came to Christ? Look in verse, uh, let's see. Where is it? Chapter 4 and verse 4. Chapter 4 and verse 4. This is after they received in prison. Let's, let's start in the priest, uh, in verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming Jesus' resurrection from the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Verse 4, but many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. Okay, so between the church being 5,000, and it says men, 5,000 in in strong, to being 3,120, or basically 3,000, is this experience in which they... The, be- the beggar uh, uh, got, got healed, uh, he, he rose to his feet, he praised God, Peter saw the opportunity, he preached the gospel, and pff, the church just exploded. So I want us to think about this in relation to our lives. Spirit-led Christians recognize divine opportunity out of little things, like being approached by a panhandler, or you know, um, not finishing a project on time and having to go talk to the teacher or whatever. God uses it all. Spirit-led Christians rely on divine enablement. They use whatever God has gifted them with or placed in their, in their hand in that opportunity. Spirit-led Christians then seize that divine opportunity and they instantly point back to Jesus. They point back to Jesus. So when you get a raise, there's, let, let, let's take, like, take an instance here. Okay, you get a raise. Christian recognizes divine appointment. Wow, Lord, thank you for giving me that raise. Um, um, my divine opportunity out, that, out of that is to say to people who say, oh, you got a raise. Well, I'm so grateful to God for that. You know, all you're doing is pointing back to Jesus and experiencing, and, and, and in time, experiencing the results of that. So each of us have an opportunity to work this process of being led by the Spirit in the simplest ways of life. Now, um, 
kind of wanted to put some, some flesh on the bones rather than just these theoretical, uh, you know, it's like, well, you know, did you leave a gallon of milk at home? So um, what, what, I'm, I asked if, uh, if uh, Lloyd Steinmetz would come up and share a testimony, which this is actually a ministry report from, uh, from our, our boys and girls clubs. But I, I gave him the, uh, the outline in advance, and I said, kind of, so, so leave this up here and kind of walk through as he gives us his testimonies and look for the divine appointment, the divine enablement, the divine opportunity, and then the divine results. All right. So first, I feel like I need a disclaimer. Um, I have four kids at home, and this is what you get when you are completely out of laundry on a Sunday morning, <laughs> and I normally wear jeans, so feeling a little uncomfortable, but um, I, I did want to share this with you because um, it's definitely uh, impacted my life um, over the last couple of months. So a few months ago, uh, we had just started to have our first few weeks of kids clubs, and I was doing some different like object-based lessons. We were talking about how, um, how we're fearfully and wonderfully made, um, how God engages us and puts people in our lives so that we'll never have to feel alone, lessons like that. Um, and I got started working on a lesson where we were going to talk about sin, uh, how sin, uh, what sin is, how it affects us and the people around us. And I just, I started getting this sense that there needed to be more um, to this lesson than what I was preparing. And I, I really wasn't sure which way to go. So my wife, Gina, um, was a children and youth director years ago. So I'll always bounce like different ideas off of her and um, and I did that this particular week, and of course, you know, I told her like what I was planning and, and the thoughts, and the first thing that she said to me was, you know, this would be a great week to do an altar call. So my first thought was, okay, really? <laughs> my second thought was the typical type A type thinking that like, um, well, if we do this, then we'll need to do this, this, and this. Um, I'll need to get, make sure that the, um, the leaders had, were ready for different conversations, things like that. Basically, this checklist of things that um, I completely wasn't prepared for and, um, and then um, moved on to the next thought. And the next thought was that thought I got when I had like straight, utter fear <laughs> of, uh, of what was going to happen. You see, I understand the gravity of these type of conversations and... Um, it was like right at that moment when I started to realize that this was exactly where God was, was leading us. So for the past few years, God has been working with me about teaching, um, just really teaching me about being sensitive um, to when he's speaking to me through the Holy Spirit. I've learned that if and when we start getting in tune with the ways that God um, speaks to us and the way the Spirit speaks to us, it's truly life-changing. And, um, and we can really begin to live the life that God uh, has for us, and he can do some amazing things through us. He's taught me that there are many ways that he can speak to us. And the crazy thing is, is he, he just preached on all of this stuff, and I actually jotted this down last night and had no idea what he was going to preach about. Um, but he speaks to us in many ways. Sometimes it's completely audible, um, where he tells you to do or not do something. Maybe it's through something the pastor says in the morning. Like, I slid that one in there on a Sunday morning <laughs> message. Or like in this case, it's often a conversation that you have with a fellow Christian. Um, when, when, you, when you think that, like, 
this feeling is like undeniable, like I should really do this. Or even just a thought that pops into your head, like when you, you have that thought, like I haven't heard from this person in a while, maybe I should give them a call. You should, because that's what God is telling you to do and he's talking to you right now. You see, I've missed all kinds of opportunities in the past because as I look back at parts of my life, I can remember a bunch of times where these inner feeling, these feelings, inner voices or thoughts have popped into my head and I did absolutely nothing with them. I brushed them off and, and just passed them off as uh, just passing thoughts. Like I said earlier, I did this lesson with the boys where we talked about how uniquely made we are. Um, how God carefully placed all of the nerves in your body. And think about this for a second. So he carefully placed all the nerves in your body. And if you were to stretch them out end to end, they would wrap around a running track 180 times. When you look at creation and you marvel at all the details and how God put every single one of those details together and how they all connect together in a seamless and unique way, nothing that God has ever done has ever been by chance. Everything is for a reason. Even those thoughts that I had about calling someone or praying for someone, they all happen for a reason because God does everything for a reason. So as I was getting this sin lesson ready, I felt like God was telling me to prepare a salvation message and an altar call, so I did. That week, um, I did the lesson, and it totally did not go as I had planned. I felt like I was rambling, like I wasn't connecting basically the worst nightmare of any teacher or person that gives a lesson. Still, though, I felt that urging, so I did the salvation message, gave the altar call, and that night we had seven boys except Jesus. So the crazy thing about the whole story is that I had no idea of what was going on in the background of some of these boys' lives and where they were at with their journey with the Lord. The next day, one of the moms of one of the boys that had accepted Christ had texted my wife and told her how excited uh, this boy was when he got into the car that night and shared with her about what had happened. The family had been praying for this boy for years and had multiple conversations about accepting Jesus and had always said that, and he had always said that basically he just wasn't ready yet. She said that they had just decided to trust in God's timing, and the culmination of those conversations and the prayers just happened that particular night, uh, something I had no idea about when I started getting this prompting from the Spirit for this lesson. So through this, I was reminded that when the Spirit is prompting us, that we need to be sensitive to those promptings, we need to react to them, and really understand that the Spirit is speaking to us, just like Pastor said, um, all the time, every day. He speaks to all of us every day, and most of us, most of the time, do nothing about it, myself included. I've always felt that when God wants to use, what God wants from us more than anything is to be willing. Willing to love one another, willing to trust in him, willing to build a better relationship with him, and willing to step forward and volunteer when he's calling us. But in order for us to be willing, we first need to recognize when he's speaking to us, listen to what he says, and then do what he's, what he's telling us to do.